we're going to uh, give out a handout shortly, but first, firstly I have a, a quiz question for you. It's a family service and the young people are here, so just got a quiz question for you, and that is, how many of you heard the saying, God moves in a mysterious way? Excellent. God moves in a mysterious way. The quiz question today, and there is a prize, the quiz question is, where does that saying come from? God moves in a mysterious way. Brother Jack, it comes from a hymn. That's good. William Cowper, congratulations, Mr. Boyens. Do you have a Rubik's Cube at home? Have you ever tried a Rubik's Cube? Excellent. Today is history in Hokanui. We are giving Brother Jack Boyens a Rubik's Cube. Something very terrible has happened to my Rubik's Cube at home. Just while I tell you about that, I'll just ask Phil if he can hand out these handouts. My Rubik's Cube at home is broken. You see, this beautiful cube here, Brother Jack, it's, it's uniform on every side, the same color on every side. And as you rotate these various tiers, you have millions and millions of variations. My cube at home has lost its design. And the problem is this. Regardless of what I do, eyes closed, eyes open, whatever I do, I cannot get it back into this condition. Now, I find that very interesting. I would have thought something that is, you know, reasonably simple, you'd be able to put back into shape. God moves in mysterious ways. Thanks, Jonathan. We'll have that hymn on the, on the overhead. And it's a, a hymn from Mission Praise 193. And it's an old hymn, and it's written by a writer who lived back in 1731 to 1800. So some of you might remember that, and some might not. Brother Harley doesn't remember that. I am. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. And William Cowper, this is probably the last hymn he ever wrote, and it's a first line that's often referred to when people refer to accidents or things that they can't understand, things that are unfortunate, and it's a, a line that's very famous that's referred to in many works of literature. This hymn writer struggled with depression and doubt. And uh, John Piper wrote a biography about this man, Cooper, and described Cooper's life as one long accumulation of pain, especially mental pain. But as we read this hymn through, you'll find that throughout this hymn, William Cooper is actually saying, God is in control. God has a purpose. And 
If you look at circumstances, you could easily be discouraged or depressed or confused. But if you look beyond that, you will find that God is very much in control, working his wonders and ready to bless. So it's a wonderful hymn. We won't sing it. By the way, it has been modernized. So before you think that it's a hymn we'll never ever sing, it has been modernized. And on your handout, there are some slightly different words to the original. But I just love some of those words. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. So there you have it. God moves in a mysterious way. We could easily call today's topic by that phrase, God moves in a mysterious way. And we're, we're looking today at God's covenant with Noah. We're looking at the book of Genesis. We're continuing our study. And as we read today, just keep an eye out for some key covenant phrases as we read through these uh, next few verses. We'll look for some key phrases such as I will and establish and never again and everlasting. Phrases like that. Keep an eye out for them as we go through. Genesis chapter 6 verse 17, just for a start off. Genesis 6, verse 17, I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives, with you. Verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Chapter 8, verse 1, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Last week we were considering that phase where the flood receded and looking at some of the incredible signs of the flood and lasting evidence to this day. <clears throat> Chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man. <clears throat> even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. <clears throat> Chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Verse 7. As for you, be fruitful <clears throat> and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Verse 8, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again. 
will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And I'm sure the people in the far north would like to hear that never again. Verse 12, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful word, covenant. And uh, as we unpackage this and as we build on it in weeks to come, as we go through Genesis, you'll find wonderful treasure and and uh, blessing in this thought of covenant. And by the way, it's a word that is perhaps used rather glibly, rather loosely in life today, and you speak about banking covenants. Have you got a banking covenant with your banker? You've got to have money to do that, but sometimes you can have debt to do that. Do you, you might qualify. Even with your debt, you might qualify to have a banking covenant, an agreement between your banker and yourself. Not a very friendly covenant, but nevertheless, it is a type of covenant. Sometimes you hear about building covenants, and they're also not always very pleasant. Perhaps a good example of a covenant today is the marriage covenant, and sadly that covenant has been so terribly diluted and dismissed from society today, but it is nevertheless a covenant. It's a relationship and an agreement between parties. And so what is a covenant? Well, the dictionary defines it as a binding and solemn agreement made by two or more individuals or parties to do or keep from doing certain things. So if you've got your handout, you'll find that we'll move through this reasonably, reasonably steadily. That is the definition of covenant, but there's also the thought of a divine covenant where God is promising to deal with people in a special way, where he is moving into an arrangement where there is a special promise and purpose. And so we would think of it as a relationship. And there's some words that I want to just share with you here. Covenary, the Latin means to meet. And then in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for covenant is to bind, to eat, and to cut. And so let's just think of those for a minute. Parties coming together with a purpose in mind, and they're going to enter into a special binding arrangement, a promise or a pledge or a treaty. And there's normally a purpose attached to it. So solemn, so legal, so, so serious that they will often cut an animal and sacrifice and walk through to 
to seal that covenant arrangement and to ratify it and to say, this is the arrangement that we have made. This is the promise that we will keep. Now, the covenants of God in Scripture are very progressive. And as we go through Scripture, each covenant reveals more and more of God's purposes and plan. This is the first time in Scripture that we read this word covenant. That doesn't mean that this is the first covenant that we've noticed, but this is the first time this word is used, and therefore it is very, very important. I want to give you a picture, if you like, of covenant. If you were to drive from Hamilton to Cambridge today on the main highway, you would find along the road on every side these orange cones. And you will see a sign almost every few hundred meters, temporary, temporary, temporary. And you'll see a scarred landscape and you'll see trucks and you'll see lights flashing and you'll see highways and you'll see diversions. And there's something very important, very purposeful and very special going on. What is it? What is it, folks? What is that that we're describing there? What are they building? Construction. Construction and they're building a highway. And if you were to go up to Rangariri, you'd see a similar thing going on. You'd see earthworks. You'd see gravel. You've seen a big pole go up. You've seen a whole lot of activity. And if you were to go over to to uh, Taupari, you would see, again, a very interesting arrangement. There's roundabouts and there's signposts. And sometimes the signposts are pointing somewhere and then there's a, a big flag over it as if to say, stop, it's not ready yet. You see, there's a design going on and they're calling this the highway of national significance. Well, the covenants in Scripture are describing to us God's purposes of eternal significance. And these covenants, if you like, are, are like interchanges where we actually are given a chance to join that highway and to be part of God's purpose of eternal significance. So I just leave that illustration with you. It's a mystery, but it's clear from above. If you get on the plane and you fly over, you suddenly start to join the dots and say, oh, sooner or later, that little piece there is going to make sense because it's going to join up, and eventually it will be a glorious highway, a pathway that is complete and perfect and revealed. God's covenants of eternal significance. And by the way, Scripture gives us many, many covenants and perhaps even eight major divine covenants, but some would say that there is just one major covenant that would describe Scripture in full, and that is the covenant of redemption. The covenant of redemption where God speaks to his beloved son and says, there's a people that I give to you, and his beloved son says, I will redeem that people and buy them back to myself as a precious and glorious bride. And so the Son undertakes to redeem a people chosen out of all mankind <clears throat> on the grounds of mercy and grace. And so today we're looking at the covenant with Noah, sometimes referred to as the Noahic 
covenant, but that's hard to say. So we're going to call it the covenant with Noah. Now, what and who are the parties to this covenant? Generally, when people come together, they meet together, and normally they would both have an agenda of some sort. And sometimes they are equals, sometimes they're friends, sometimes they're not equals. Your banker meeting with you, and you've got your cap in your hand, there's not really that equality there, is there? But here we have a very, very special covenant because we have two parties, God revealed and Noah responding. The flood has receded. Two birds have been released. The raven, which is a scavenger, and it flies back and forth, and it looks for death, but there's that symbol of peace, the dove, and that bird is released, and then as the stench of death is rising on a drenched and scarred earth, there's a very pleasing aroma of sacrifice. And God sees and smells that aroma, that beautiful sacrifice. In that flood that we have been looking at in the last few weeks, what is the constant factor in that flood? In all that change and all that chaos and confusion, God is the constant factor. God is the one who is unchanging. God is the one who is unmoving and unmoved and unsurprised. Some covenants work on conditions. And the parties will say, if you do something, I will do something. If you fulfill a certain, a certain requirement, I will provide you with this. But here, this covenant is what we would say is unilateral. It is one-sided. God speaks to Noah and says, I have something to tell you very, very important. God has been revealed in this flood. God has been revealed as the one who is holy, the one who hates sin. He is grieved by the creation he has made because of the wickedness that is around. He is so grieved, but he is also just and the judge of that which is wrong. But then he says, before the flood even occurs, he says to Noah, I will provide, I will establish a covenant with you. And then he fulfills that with the covenant itself and shows that he is faithful. Noah has responded. How did Noah respond? Remember, we read in chapter 6 that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah was surrounded by wickedness, but he chose to respond in righteousness, in faith, and obedience to God, and now in worship. By the way, society has cheapened covenant very, very much. So much so that these days people say it's not worth the piece of paper it's written on. That's what they say about covenant. And yet, when we think of covenant in Scripture, when we think of this covenant, we're talking about something that is not trivial, not something that is flimsy and cheap. The covenants of Scripture are so strong, they are so binding, so serious, 
that the complications, the, the consequences of failure are very serious. Let me give you a couple of examples. Look please at Ruth chapter 1 verse 17. Some of the covenants of scripture are accompanied by promises and the person who is making the promise is so intent on fulfilling and keeping their word that they will say something like Ruth did here. She has made this promise to her mother-in-law. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. And now this is what she says. Look at this. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. This is Ruth's vow of intent. This is her covenant promise. And she is saying, if I do not keep my word, I would rather die at the hand of God. I'll give you another example. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 13. Two very special friends, David and Jonathan. Two special friends talking together, sharing their lives together, promising faithfulness and commitment to each other. Jonathan is saying to David, I love you so much, my brother, I will give you my tunic, my robe, my bow, I will give my life for you. And then this is what he says, If my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. You see the thought? You see the commitment to covenant? That is how strong covenant relationship is. Two parties joined together, promising, committing, and keeping their word. Sadly, in life we find that our covenants are broken. We are human and we often fail to keep our word. And so I'm so glad today that this covenant that we are reading about today is actually not dependent on you and I. You see, this covenant is a very special covenant because it's one-sided. It is the almighty, living, eternal God saying to Noah, Noah, this is my promise to you, and I will never break my covenant because I am faithful. You see, it's impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to break a promise to us. God is not a man that he should lie, Numbers 23. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Does he promise and not fulfill? And so this covenant relationship between these two parties is actually based on one person alone, God himself. And that is the promise he is making to Noah. Now, something special. Not only is he making the promise to Noah, he's making it to Noah and his descendants and the earth as a whole. So you and I, as descendants of Noah, are participants in this covenant. How special is that? Hundreds of years later, we are still recipients of this special promise that God has made. Now, let's have a look at what God is promising and why. If we look at chapter 8, verse 21b, 
we will find the purpose of God revealed. Never again will I curse the ground because of man. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So the content is very clear. God has a purpose. He is providing for Noah and for mankind in a special way. And then he's giving a purpose statement. Chapter 9, verse 1. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So God is giving an unconditional divine promise to never destroy all earthly life again via flood or natural catastrophe. In this covenant, in the contents in chapter 9, the first few verses, there's three aspects of protection that God is giving to Noah. Firstly, there is a change of diet, and so he is allowing mankind to have dominion over the animal kingdom. He's placing in animals the fear of man. He's telling Noah, you are allowed to eat meat, and this is how is the proper way to eat that. The diet is extended to meat, man forbidden to eat blood. So there's the protection from animals. And then secondly, again, considering God's purpose that Noah and his family would be fruitful and replenish the earth, he is saying, from now on, there is capital punishment. Man for man, if you kill someone, your life is required. Previously, Cain the murderer, he went throughout all the earth. He was not eliminated because of his murder. But now God is saying, this is the order, and there is protection from mankind. And then thirdly, there is the protection from a destroying God. You see, Noah saw something that Adam never saw. Adam saw God creating. Adam saw the blessing of God and how he said it was good, it is good. But Noah saw God destroying. Noah saw God, the creating God, destroying the work of his hands. And so we have this incredible provision in this covenant. I will not wipe out this earth again by flood. Most covenants, sorry, some covenants will have a sign, not all covenants. I'm going to show you a very simple sign, and that is the sign of a marriage covenant. There we have it here. It's not essential. In fact, a lot of people don't even bother with the marriage covenant, but that is a sign of an enduring covenant relationship. Likewise, this covenant has a sign, and it's very, very significant. God says in verse 12, I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant. This is the sign of the covenant. And as he spoke, he would be referring to something very, very beautiful, very wonderful. Some would argue that a rainbow had never appeared in the sky before. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I know that there's, there's arguments for and against about rain and whether it was there before or not. But God was pointing to that bow in the sky and he was literally saying to Noah, I am placing my bow in the sky. Not just a rainbow, my bow. And if you read the Hebrew word, it is actually the word for the archer's bow. And God was actually saying, symbolizing in that, in that sign, that his wrath was now no longer pointing at earth to destroy. 
God was actually putting that bow in the sky as a very, very special reminder of his covenant mercy. The Hebrew word for rainbow is kesheth, and it's also the word for bow. Likewise, in English, we have rainbow and bow. And so God's bow of wrath is no longer pointing at earth in judgment. Secondly, it is a radiant symbol of God revealed. We've been thinking about the light of the world this morning. Once I was blind, now I can see. Imagine if our eyes were open so that no longer would you see your piece of paper in black and white, but you would see it in color. God is revealing himself in a very special way here as light revealed. His splendor, his beauty, his brightness and power. And as we think of that, we can look at Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. And we have a wonderful description of God in the, on the throne. And there we have, again, a brilliant rainbow in the clouds. And this was full of fire. And it was like the glory of God. So we have in the rainbow a wonderful symbol of God revealed. And then I think it's fair to say that God gave the sign as a way of illustrating, pointing forward to someone very special, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus is perfection and majesty. And this rainbow is a wonderful symbol of that. In Revelation chapter 4, we read about that seen around the throne where there's an emerald which is complete and it's an emerald rainbow complete and it's, it's again speaking of one who is very much in glory. The rainbow is an enduring sign. Not only is it enduring but it's also unconditional. By that I mean you can see that rainbow and it doesn't actually stop over certain houses and, and then start again. Imagine if the rainbow went from Kandasami's place to the Atwoods and Morrinsville, but it stopped over my house. Wouldn't that be terrible, you know? Or, you know, it went from Mrs. Houghton and it went over to Mrs. King, but didn't stop over Kath Badger's place. Terrible. But God's rainbow is over the just and the unjust. It is the rain that he sheds, the sin he sends forth over the just and the unjust. It is not conditional at all. It is a token of his faithfulness. I want to remind you again of that scenario when that ark door was closed. Do you know how long it took before that door was closed? God called Noah and his immediate family into the ark. Do you know how many days before that door was closed? The door didn't close immediately. There were seven days before God closed that door. Seven days to illustrate his mercy and his compassion and his patience as he allowed mankind to consider their ways and to even then go into the ark door. Tremendous. God is faithful. God is compassionate. He is of tender mercy and he is longing for us to respond to him. How do we respond to this covenant today? This covenant between God and Noah and every descendant from them. This covenant that is as special today as it was then. 
a covenant relationship with Almighty God. Noah responded in two ways. I leave this with you. Noah responded in fear, holy fear, reverence to God. He heard, he understood, and he obeyed. That was his first initial response, and then he responded in faith. And so likewise, we need to be very clear that we are sheltering under God's provision for us. God is a faithful God, but he requires us to commit to him. We can respond in dependence and gratitude. We can respond in obedience and faith. And we can allow God to be our provider, our protector, as we know the security of his salvation. He writes in characters too grand for our short sight to understand. Have you ever seen God's handwriting in the sky? I suggest to you the rainbow is God's signature to a guilty world. It is God's signature writing in the sky, God is love. I will never leave you or forsake you. He cares for you. And we catch broken strokes. We see little pieces of his incredible highway, but there with larger, clearer sight. We shall see this. His way was right. Truly, God moves in a mysterious way, and we can give thanks to him for his faithfulness. Let's pray together. Father, today we thank you for your revelation through your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, the light of the world, the light shining in a dark place, that perfect one, the heart of God revealed. And we thank you that in the rainbow, in this covenant, we see another token of your faithfulness, of your incredible mercy, your goodness and kindness but also your provision for us, that we can be safe, that we can be secure, that we can find grace to know you as our Saviour and Lord. We pray that we will rest in you today, that as young and old we will be safe and secure and give thanks to you, the righteous and faithful God. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your covenant, for your enduring promise. We pray that we will be faithful to you in the week ahead, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>